All right, well, if you have your Bibles, we're back in Matthew chapter 7 tonight. Um, one verse tonight, believe it or not, we're going to be focusing on uh, verse 12. We'll read that here in just a moment. Um, so, you know, it's amazing what can be learned from the life of a child. You know, children are the most innocent, uh, well, I'll say that in, in quotations, children are the most innocent, uh, you know, human beings that there are. And yet, even before they're old enough to be corrupted by the world, even before they can talk, I mean, you can just see from us, just an early age, the, the reality of the sinful nature um, that we have as human beings. I mean, and it never ceases to amaze me how from this little child that seems to be so innocent that it can be so naughty. You know what I mean? I mean, even before they can talk, if they don't get their way, I mean, they will scream, they will pitch a fit, kick their legs, throw themselves back as they get a little bit older and you, and you try to teach a two-year-old to share. I mean, they will hit and scratch and bite and, and they will just have a, a conniption fit because they want that and that is mine, right? And, you know, as they get older, I mean, the fits change. But the responses really don't, right? It's still a response of the heart that shows the, the sinful nature. I mean, you know, if siblings bicker back and forth and, and, and instead of, you know, just taking a blame for something, well, it's his fault or he hit me first or he did it to me first or whatever, and they shift blame and all these different things. And, and you know, as much as I would like to, to think that as adults um, that changes, unfortunately, uh, we, we have fits of our own sometimes, don't we? They may look different, but they're still there. You know, as we think about the lives of children, in a lot of ways, they're, they're almost like a mirror um, to, to the reality of just how sinful we are just as human beings, the, the sin nature that unfortunately is, is inside of us. And, um, you know, when things don't go our way, when, when people don't treat us the way we think they should, they, 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 they should I mean, again, oftentimes we, we respond in ways that is wrong. We get angry. We... We lash out, we say things that aren't nice, um, you know, we, we withhold love for people, care for people just to, to make them pay, to what, I mean, there, there's so many ways that we as humans um, respond to things that we just don't like. You know, as much as little kids are sinful little buggers, we are sinful little buggers too, aren't we? And just in so many Ways And this is just unfortunate, the reality of the human condition that we're born with and something that even as Christians, even though I wish it weren't so, it's something that we have to fight with daily. It's something that is just an ongoing, moment-by-moment battle to push aside that sinful nature and to live a life that honors the Lord. But you know, how amazing would the world be um, if, if people could just get over themselves? talking about me personally and us as individuals, right, everybody, if people would just choose to set themselves aside for the sake of others, no matter what they got in return, how, what kind of world would that be? Like, and what if people started setting their own wants and desires aside so they could help others? You know, what if people, instead of demanding their own way, their own rights, started willingly laying down their rights for the sake of others? What if people started responding to conflict with love and grace and, instead of retaliation? What if people gave up, um, gave others you know, the benefit of the, doubt, of, of the doubt when conflicts arise rather than jumping to conclusions automatically? What if people just 
We're kind all the time. You know, I mean, this one may be a stretch, but, but what if people went out of their way to find the positive things in people and commend them for it rather than instantly just seeing the negative and making sure they point that out? What kind of a world would that be? Can you imagine that, that type of world? Well, today as we continue in this Sermon on the Mount series, this is really the, the premise of the teaching that Jesus has uh, of what we know as the golden rule which um, we'll read here in this verse, is Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, that says this, it says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets. Now, maybe you've heard that stated, do unto others as they do unto you. Well, that's how the world has put it, but that's not how Jesus put it. Um, is do unto others as you would have people do unto you. You know, as we think about God's Word, th- there are so many do's and don'ts, aren't there? I mean, the, the Bible is just packed full of things that we're supposed to do as God's people, things that we're supposed to avoid as God's people, and there are so many of them that at times it's almost hard to remember them all. Even though we've heard them, trying to keep everything straight in our minds, and you know, even as we've gone through this teaching of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen them just you know go through one thing after another of, of things that should be done, of attitudes that we should have, of things that should be avoided as God's people. And you know, even though we're not people that live under law, the truth is that we're people that are serious about living for Jesus, serious about honoring Him in our lives. Those do's and don'ts matter, don't they? Um, our attitudes matter as God's people because, you know, our, our, our call as God's people is to walk in the way of Jesus. You know, living a Christ-like life is our aim. It's our, it's our goal. It's our, at least it should be our, our life's mission. But, you know, the question is, is, how does that work? I mean, especially where there's so many commands and so many do's and don'ts and so many things in the Bible, how do we keep it all straight? Well, what if the answer is as simple as Jesus put it? In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Like, what if the answer is as simple as doing unto others as you would want them to do unto you? Is it really that easy? Jesus said it was. I mean, what if we all just followed that golden rule as the premise of our Christian life? You know, what's interesting about this statement is that this is, Jesus wasn't the first person to say something like this. In fact, if you remember from a few sermons ago, we talked about one of the um, kind of leading Pharisees that had one of the head of the synagogue. His name was Hillel, a rabbi. He was a rabbi, I guess, not a Pharisee, but he was a rabbi. And he was a head of one of these um, places of, of worship, right? And Hillel said, it said back in AD 20, he, he was challenged by this Gentile man that was thinking about just, just the Old Testament alone, but all the laws and the prophets and everything was said and all those hundreds and hundreds of pages and and hundreds of thousands of words, and, and, and he challenged Hillel to this. He says, I want to know, can you summarize everything in what we know is the Old Testament in the time that I can stand and balance on one foot? And this was Hillel's response. He says, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law, and all the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. And so that's how this, this person, Hillel, that's how he summarized 
the entire, essentially, law of God. Now, what Rabbi Hillel said was definitely true in a sense. Like, if we don't want people to be hateful toward us, we shouldn't be hateful towards people. You know, if we want people to be honest with us, we should be people that are honest to other people. If we don't want to be talked bad about, we shouldn't talk bad about other people. I mean, there's something definitely true about what this Rabbi Hillel said. And, and I think, um, I'm pretty sure Jesus would have affirmed that what he said was very true. That, that that is a part of what the law means, but it wasn't the full extent or the full scope of what the law is. And Jesus, in his statement in the Golden Rule, really brought it to um, a completion. See, Jesus says here, when it comes to what God wants from his people, it's, it's more than just not doing something bad. It's not doing something bad and doing something good. And making an effort to, do, to, to go beyond what's expected to do something good to people. See, what this is is a call for us to be people who make the initiative to show people kindness and grace and generosity. To be people who intentionally go out of our way to show people the love of God. So it's both and. It's not doing sinful things to people, but going beyond that and also doing good to people intentionally. Meaning it's not good enough to just not be angry or not be hateful toward a person. What God God wants from us is to, yes, not be hateful, but to extend kindness as well. It's not enough for a spouse just to try not to be a bad spouse. The spouse should obviously try that, but in the same time, try to be the best spouse that they can be. A friend shouldn't just try to be the bare minimum of a friend and not be a bad friend, but they should be the best friend that they could possibly be. The best church member that they can possibly be. The best citizen that they can possibly be. It's not the minimum. It's not just trying to reach a, a low-hanging bar. It's, the, it's trying to, to live like Jesus and to show love and mercy and, and, and grace to people. It's the idea of what Jesus spoke about in, in back in chapter 5 and verse 38 through 42 where he talked about us going beyond what is required of us. Like where he, he talked about if somebody asks for a you know, um, tuna, give them the cloak as well. If somebody slaps you in the right cheek, turn them the other also. If, if you're compelled to go one mile by that Roman soldier, voluntarily go to. This is the idea of what he's talking about. And even at the latter part of chapter 5 when he's talking about dealing with enemies, it's not enough just to not hate them. He said we should go above and beyond that and actually love our enemies. And so this really is the idea of the golden rule. You know, one preacher put it like this that I listened to this week. He said, it's kind of like this when you're driving down the highway. You know, as, as a good Christian, you should obey the stoplights and not run a red light. You shouldn't blow through a stop sign, right? You should obey the speed limits, and that's good. But there's a difference between obeying the law and stopping and helping that person and just stranded alongside of the road. And he said that the, 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 the heart of this command is that, yes, we're obeying the law, that's a given, but it's also going above and beyond and extending love and kindness towards people. So it's not just about our relationship with God, it's also about extending God's love to others. Now, question, if this command is, is this command condition based on the response of others. When he says, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you, is there a condition? Is it, is it based on how worthy that person is of receiving it? You know, is it based on whether or not we think that that person deserves our generosity, our care, our love, 
grace, patience? Is it really conditioned on how worthy that person is that we're dealing with at all? Like if I think somebody's kind of a jerk, do I have the permission to kind of just write them off and ignore them? I know I can't be mean to them, but can I just like avoid them? Or, you know, what if, you know, I'm good to my spouse, but uh, she isn't nice in return. Do I have the permission to just no longer be nice? I mean, I can't be mean, I can't be bad, but just not go out of my way to be nice. Well, no, there's no permission given in this command that if, if they don't respond in a certain way, then we're off the hook. This is the command that we're supposed to live our lives by no matter what. See, what we can't control is other people, but we, what we can control is ourselves. It's not about controlling the response of others, just controlling who we are. It means that there's no conditions, there's no clauses like fine print in the bottom of a contract. This is the call of the Christian to do to others what we want them to do to us, no matter what. And whether or not they respond in a positive way is on them. But our responsibility doesn't change. Now, that, that seems like, golly, that's a lot to ask. But you know, what's interesting is Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he didn't already demonstrate, that, that God wasn't demonstrating in, in real time through Christ. I mean, you think about the golden rule from God's perspective from a moment, for a moment, right? Do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. Do you think that he has demonstrated that well for us? If this is the command that he first demonstrated, don't you think he demonstrated that well, especially for us today that know the whole story of the Bible? What has he done for us? I mean, just, just take the greatest gift of all in, in Jesus himself, the one that was speaking to this. That, that he sent his son to this earth for the sole purpose of coming to die for our sin, a, a horrible, excruciating death, suffering for us so we can be made right. I mean, just think about that for a moment. He extended the most incredible kindness possible to us. And he just chose to do it. Like, did God do it because we deserved it? No. Consider Colossians 1 and verse 21. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And yet in verse 22 he says, He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ. And as a result, he's brought, in, he's brought us into his own presence. And, and now we stand holy and blameless before him without a single fault. It's, we weren't deserving. We were his enemies. I mean, did God do it because we earned it? No, Romans 5 tells us that we were utterly helpless. We didn't earn it. There's no one good. No, not one, Romans 3 says. And you know, listen, and the rest, it's a familiar passage here in Romans 5, but it goes on and says this. When we are utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for us. And he says, most people would not be willing to die for somebody who was an even upright person, though somebody might be willing to die for somebody who was especially good, but God showed his great love for us while we were what? Still sinners, still enemies. We, he didn't, we didn't earn it, and we certainly weren't worthy of it. As Isaiah 64 says, even the most righteous possible deeds that we could have done or do in our life to God are like filthy rags. We're like an impure thing. 
So this kindness he extended to us in Christ, the, the greatest kindness of all, a kindness that we can never even possibly um, come close to for anybody else, he didn't put conditions on it. He just did it. We didn't deserve it. We weren't worthy of it. We didn't earn it. He just did it because he loves. That's who he is. God is love. And you think about even our lives now, God still hasn't stopped showing his love and grace, even though we take advantage of it all the time. Like I said, we're, we're all sinful buggers. We all have issues. Still, I wish I didn't, but golly, I do. You know, and, and, and yet the Bible says, like Lamentations 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He just keeps blessing and blessing and blessing, extending grace, extending kindness, extending goodness, even though we're not worthy. He goes out of his way to show us incredible love, regardless of the response of people. That's amazing. And see, that's the call of the golden rule. Now, does God desire that people respond back to him for the things that he's done? Sure. Of course he does. I mean, he does it because he is love. He's a God of grace and mercy. And, but, but the whole purpose of it is so that people will respond, right? Think of Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. He says, I have loved you, my people. Speak of the nation of Israel, but I believe it applies to us too. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. It's God's desire that people respond to his love and his mercy and his grace. He wants people to accept Christ and be saved. He wants people to choose to live for him daily. But the point is, the love he has shown was not conditioned based on our response. His love was given first with no strings attached. What people do with it is up to them. It's an amazing love. See, even for people who refuse Christ, even for people that hear the gospel and hear the gospel and still choose to not respond to that, even people that end up in eternity in hell, they are not there for a lack of God's trying to get their attention. Because he expressed his love in so many ways. As Romans 1 talks about, it's impossible to not see the evidence of God. It's been clearly seen since the beginning. Now, although showing people God's love may result in people treating us with love and kindness in return, even if they don't, we still have a responsibility to love them anyways because that's the example that has been shown to us. See, when we think about this rule, right, the golden rule, here's a good question we should ask. And these are questions you should always ask when you're reading the Bible. Like, is this a promise that Jesus gave? Or is this simply a principle? Meaning, is this a guarantee that if we're good to people, they're going to be good back? If I'm a good friend, they're going to be good back to me. If I'm generous and kind, people are going to be generous and kind. Is, is this a promise? Well, no, it, it's not a promise at all. It's, it's very, very much a principle. There's no guarantee that, that people are going to treat us kindly in return. And in fact, the proof of that is in the Sermon on the Mount, back in chapter 5, in verse 10, where he says, God blesses those who are persecuted for what? For righteousness, righteousness' sake, for doing good, 
for doing right. So there's this reality that even if we are living according to this golden rule, doing our best to live for the Lord and treat people the way Jesus would treat them, there is a very real reality that people may respond negatively back to us. Who exemplified this rule better than Christ himself? And look what they did to him. And so this isn't a promise. It is a principle, but although it's not a promise, it's definitely a great principle to live by. And I'm certain that as a general rule, that people that live like this will live a far more peaceful and fulfilling and happy existence, even with the people around them than people that don't. This is a great principle to live by. And in doing so, let's just be real. If we live like this, we become the city on the hill of Matthew chapter 5. We become the light up on the lampstand, right? It says, shine your, 5.16, shine your light so that people see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We become that through living out the golden rule in our lives. And what people do with that's on them. But as far as our part's concerned, if we live by this, we are doing exactly what Christ has told us to do. We're living exactly the way he has called us to live. Now, Another question, and this really is kind of a big question that I kind of mauled in my head around um, this verse. Is our quality of life really the guiding principle here? Like meaning if the only goal behind this command is the only goal behind this command to get people to be nice back to us. I mean, is the goal a more peaceful family? Is the goal a better marriage? Is the goal better friendships? Is the goal a more unified church? Sure, that's part of it, right? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a great thing to happen, and if that happens, it's definitely a bonus, but is that really the point that Jesus is making here, or is there something deeper than we do this so that we can get some kind of a kind response back from people? What I want to do is I want to focus on the second part of this verse. Pull that verse back up, Corey, on the screen there. So when we think of the golden rule, generally speaking, we, we think of the first part, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. But in the same verse, he says, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. That's like the whole Old Testament, except for some of the history stuff maybe, right? But I mean, in, in principle, it's the whole Old Testament. In, in principle, it's the entire Bible. And he says, following this verse is the essence of all that is taught. How in the world is following this verse fulfilling all the commands and principles that were spoken to, to God's people? It's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? Inter interesting question to ask. Like, that's a big question to ask. Well, consider Matthew chapter 22. In verses 37 through 40, Jesus said this familiar passage. He's, he's um, kind of confronted by some Pharisees, some teachers of the law, and they ask him, um, Jesus, he tested him really and asked him, of all the commandments, of all the law, what is the greatest? And this was his response. He says, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's the first one. He said, and the second one is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, the entire law and all of its demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. And so he says the exact same thing as he said at the end of this verse. Love God and love people. And if we do that, we are essentially fulfilling all the requirements of God's law. Pretty interesting. 
But now the Apostle Paul later on in Galatians 5.14 says this. He says the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. He, again, he says the same thing. The, entire, the essence, the entirety of the law is fulfilled in this one command to love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound strikingly familiar to what Jesus says in this verse? To do unto others as you would have them do unto you? He's saying the exact same thing. It's the exact same command. But my question is, is, is what is it? What, what, what is the essence of it? Like, Jesus says to love God and love people. Paul says it comes through just loving people. Which is it? It's both. It's, it's, it's a both and. The, the point of this verse, the point of all of these verses, is that the only way that we can rightly express our love and devotion and worship to God is by loving people as Christ has loved us. Is by showing people around us the love of God that we've experienced. This top-down love that God has shown us, we express out to people in our lives, and as we express it out to people in our lives, it is the most pure, um, most pure expression of love that we can give back to God. And in doing this, we essentially fulfill all that is required in God's Word as God's people. Listen to 1 John 4. 19 through 21. He says, We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow brother, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we possibly love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command those who love God must also love their fellow brothers and sisters of Christ. See, the two are inseparable. We have a call to live our lives in a way that, that expresses the love for God by expressing his love to the people around us. So as we think about this, this command, we can look at it from two different lenses, right? We can look at it through Rabbi Hillel, where it's, I wouldn't want someone to do this to me, so I'd better not do it to them. So you can look at all of God's word and all of God's law thinking, okay, I know I'm not supposed to do this. It, it's kind of a rule, and it's not going to be a good result if I do, and so therefore I'm not going to do it. Or we can look through the, the, this command, God's word, all the law, the prophets, all the do's and don'ts of Scripture. We can look at it through the lens of Christ and say when it comes to people, it's not about what I get back. When it comes to doing the do's and don'ts, it's not about what I get in return. It's simply out of an expression of love for God that I do these things. I don't do these things because people are deserving of it. I do it because he's worthy of it. It's not about them at all. It's not about the people we're dealing with at all. It's about him, ultimately. Yes, we should love the people in front of us, but through loving them, the focus is the Lord. Now, can you imagine what a world like this would be if people chose to live like this? Like, how different would our world look if people chose, if Christians chose to have this mindset? I mean, think how Christians acting on this command would change churches all over America. There would never be another church split again. Churches would be doing exactly what the church is supposed to do. They'd be coming alongside of one another, discipling one another, growing with one another, living life together, encouraging one another. This would happen all the time. Think about what would happen to family relationships. 
How many less arguments there would be if, if, if families would quit squabbling about things they don't like and just focus on loving one another? How would this change marriages? How amazing would marriage be if a person spent every waking moment thinking about how I can love and serve and take care of my spouse? What if both the husband and wife lived their entire life with that goal? I want to make her or him the most happy, well-loved spouse on this planet. How would that change marriages? How would this open up the door for the gospel to go forth? If Christians lived like this and acted like this all the time, can you imagine the doors that that would open? When people see that in us, I mean, if fall, this command has the potential to change everything for the better. Although it may not be perfect, it may not be a perfect world to live on, I can tell you it would be a whole lot better place than it is right now. You know, the great Charles Spurgeon once said this, he says, Oh, that all men acted on it. And there would be no slavery, no war, no swearing, no striking, no lying, no robbing. But all would be justice, all would be love. What a kingdom is this, he says, with this kind of a law. You're talking about almost, almost heaven on earth. I mean, that's amazing to think about. Now, the question is, how do we accomplish it? Because let's, let's be real. Is this come, does this come naturally in our lives? We, we just talked about this last week. We talked about some of this prayer stuff. We look at all these laws and all these do's and don'ts and even the thing, just the things Jesus said in the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount and we go, how is this possible? It's, it's so counter to my nature as a human. How do, how do we do it? In closing, I want to give you just a couple of things. One, we need to surrender to the Lord Every single day. I'm not talking about getting resaved. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we wake up and, and we pray what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that what you, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, your purest act of worship that you can give. We should pray that every day. God, let my life be a living sacrifice for you today. No matter what I have to endure, no matter what insult I have to take, let me live in a way that brings you honor and glory and remind yourself of that prayer often throughout the day. And then make a daily choice just to allow the Lord to live through you. I love Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 that says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ living in me. So the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who has loved me and has given himself for me. I mean, it's, it's living your life with that mindset that it's not about me, God, and I can't do this on my own. I'm surrendered to you, and I need you to live through me. It's like Galatians 5.16 that we preached about weeks ago. So let the Holy Spirit guide your lives so that you won't be doing what the sinful nature desires. It's our only way is to be fully surrendered, fully submitted every moment, every day, reminding ourselves continuously, even when we mess up, we just say, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me and help me now to move forward. This is the only way.
And yet as we choose this daily, God will do it. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take some work, but the world, let me tell you, the world depends on Christians obeying this law. Have you noticed that our world is in a lot of turmoil right now? Unless you're blind, you can see it, right? There's so much hatred, so much anger, so much strife, so much violence. What's the answer? If the two point some billion Christians would just start following this rule, what could change? It would change our counties, our states, our nation. It would change our world. The potential of Christians living by this is absolutely huge. The world could be changed. Lives, people's, could be tra- people's lives could be transformed. And the most important, God's going to be glorified. So let's choose to live by it, by God's grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day and for your word. And um, Lord, what a challenging verse. <laughs> One verse, just a few words, God, and yet it really just sums up what you want from our entire lives. For us to live our lives fully surrendered, fully devoted to you, loving people the way we've been loved. God, I pray that you would give us the grace to be able to do it. Father, we are imperfect, impure people. And yet, God, we are people that are indwelled by your Holy Spirit. And God, you have given us all we need to live for you. And so I just pray that you would give us the strength, Lord, to submit each day. Give us the strength to surrender to you each day. Give us the, um, the ability and the strength to allow you to lead us, Lord. And as we do, I pray that you would open doors for us to minister to people's lives. I pray you would open doors for the gospel to go forth. I pray that people's lives would be changed and people would be saved, Father, through us living this out in our lives. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for who you are. I praise you, God, for who we are in you. Now, God, let us go from this place and live it out in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, stand together, and we're going to sing just a song. Um, it, it's the song called The Reckless Love of God. And just as we sing this, just be, be reminded that God lived this rule out before we were ever here. You know, I mean, the Bible says before the foundations of the world were ever laid, he, he chose us in Christ. I mean, he, he's extended his love before we ever took our first breath. He, he, he deserves everything that we can give for him. And, and when, we, when we think we can't do it, we need to remember back to what God's already done for us and choose to extend that to other people. Let's, let's sing this song of praise to the Lord.